Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Uh, this is, speaking of reliability, this is Carl Carlson. And this is Fred Shankleberg. Hey, Carl. Hey, Fred. I've had, had some really good conversations lately on uh, the subject of FAST. And uh, so I want to re- reflect on that with you, and maybe that could be a topic for us today. Uh, one of the conversations with is with someone from a startup. And, of course, in the startup culture, uh, you have to be really fast if you're going to uh, uh, get first to market and get your products out there quickly. Um, and there's been a cult, there's been a trend to go fast for years and years. Well, isn't there like a, isn't there like a, you know, move fast, break things. Isn't that kind of the, yeah, the, the, the fast startup culture kind of thing. Yes. Yes. And, and the, the idea of being, let's find where the, the big issues are quickly and get them tackled. Uh, but it's always been part of the the trend. I mean, I think back a few decades, and of course, I can do that um, <laughs> in reliability, having been around the block. Well, it's not just reliability. It's been product development cycles have gone from, what, five years for a new car platform to less than a year in some cases. I mean, people are trying to ram, you know, the... And, and there's changes in design practices there's agile and and sprints and and building a platform and iterating and there's all kinds of techniques being used to do that but a startup is a different culture altogether because there's this real doom of we got to sell something otherwise we don't have money to pay the bills <laughs> yeah you don't have that interest you don't have that uh, set of fielded products right. that are bringing in the cash and so you got to justify or like you say, pay the bills. So it really is very high stress and uh, critical. Well, it it can be. I, and I, I'm just a bit of a sidetrack. I've worked with a handful of startups and some of them were so well managed, you'd think you're at a, a well-oiled machine that had their act together. They were brilliant. And I've been with others literally in a car gar- in some a house garage that was we're just going to ignore all these obvious things that eventually put them out of business. And I mean, it can go either way, but I think there's, there's the six, there is this essence of, we're not going to worry about that now. Right. And, but I've gotten the chance to work with teams that we're going to worry about reliability and quality because we don't get a second chance. They, they add that realization that, just because you got one to work doesn't mean anything <laughs> when re- the quality and reliability of it makes a difference, but they can still move fast in that realm with that, that constraint on it. There's, I, I think I know where you're going with this one. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, there's so much to, uh, to think about on this the, and, and, and a lot depends on one's background. So if you have a background, for instance, take FMEA where, okay, we're always going to have, you know, six people, on an FMEA team, subject matter experts are drawn from different disciplines, and you're brought up in that uh, realm. And then you go f- to a startup that has a small number of total people to do everything right. and, and wants to move very quickly. You can't impose your template uh, from that past experience necessarily, but you have to you have to bring in your experience and you have to make trade-offs. Yep. 
And that, that's a really interesting uh, subject because trade-offs, uh, you don't want to lose the essence of where you're going. In other words, you don't want to bake in a, a critical failure uh, because you missed something uh, for any reason, well, that, fast or not. Yeah, and that's back to the title of this one is, I mean, if if you just put blinders on and just go fast and ship the product, um, you might be, have absolutely brilliant team that puts together a product that just works. You might, right? Or as I've seen way too often is then you miss something completely <laughs> and, and you, you are doing a major recall, you're doing a major redesign, you're doing, and even with more mature teams, we are driven by the time to market where especially consumer products, right? We have to be out for the, the holiday season. We have to be out for what's we have Memorial day coming up here for graduates and the season of selling and buying and stuff as summer starts here in the Northern hemisphere. There's always a time pressure for some kinds of products and they'll spend money like hand over fist to make it on time, but they're also cutting corners is a way to, to make it on. Oh, well, we'll fix that after production starts. Well, no, no, <laughs> that's, no. that's way too expensive. What about the 10,000 units that now don't work? <laughs> yeah. There's so much to think about on this. The, even the, you, you talk consumer products and you're totally right, but there's also the more traditional manufacturing mm -hmm. uh, that is under intense pressure from a competitive standpoint to be fast to market. Uh, in, in that, because otherwise they they'll go out of business, yep. and and so there that pressure is there. It's a little more incremental, uh, like in the in the larger companies I've worked with. Uh, there's there's an incremental. Okay, this we've been doing three years to market. Next year we're going to do two years to market. The next year after that, eighteen yep. uh, months. And so the, the incremental, as opposed to a startup, that doesn't have that luxury, so to speak. Right. They have to come out the chute, and they got to be fast. Uh, very often, and and they and they can't have critical failures. <laughs> well, I've worked with one company that, um, to remain unnamed, of course, um, that they always put in this, you know, it's like an eighteen month for this brand new platform for their product line. This is an established mm. company; they have big investments and everything else. And I was pretty new with the the group, and one of the senior guys looked at me and go, "Don't worry about it." They always add six months. <laughs> they always do so yeah, it's like yeah, yeah it's, they all you know we want to do this do this and it works out for their budget numbers if they only go 18 months and, but then they realize that well they ain't done yet and so they come up with the extra six months of investment to finish it but that was a right. large company with deep pockets so they could get away with that uh, but it was a game these project managers played to get projects funded so let's talk about uh, the Qualities or values that that uh, that make for thoroughness within a fast culture, and in other words, we it, we we can say fast versus thoroughness. But let's let's talk about what what it would take to be thorough and fast together. And and the first thing I thought of is is I'll, I'll call it an importance antenna for for lack of another word. In other words, a sense of what is critical, what is important. Uh, versus what is not, what is trivial, what is less important, yeah. and in that sense, in, in a lot of people's instinctual, which is really based on experience, and then there's also the methodology of importance, which is 
severity and occurrence. Uh, so I just wanted to bring up that one. Yeah, see, my first one would be very similar to that. It's don't ignore any anomalies. Or, you know, so if something's not working, it's yeah. not in your best interest just to work around it and not tell anybody. It's and then, you just have to get it into that funnel. Don't ignore failures. Don't ignore near misses. Put those in the funnel so that it gets the critical attention, even if it's only 10 seconds at, a, at your team right. meeting that says, All right, I saw this the other day. Is that anything? And folks with experience from different points of views can go, hmm, with that it? occur on everything or not it on not on everything. It's an occurrence rating, right? And did it blow up or did it just not quite work right? You know, or what was the severity of it? And it can be done very quickly, but if it's if it's ignored and not reported or not discussed, then your first topic then is mute because only the one person knows about it and they moved on to the next. You know, they forgot about it. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a really, a really good one. I can think back to my early days in uh, reliability testing and somebody would say, well, it's only happened once. Right. It's just a one-off. Yeah. See, there's a, there's a hundred ways you can discount, but the, the right way is you have to pay attention to it. Yep. So, okay. So, so never ignore failure. And and then get a good sense for what is important. And that should be all the time. In other words, you're in meetings and someone says, well, let's do this. And, and, you, and you really need to weigh whether it's important or not. Right. But the thing about that is, is you have to have the right time frame. We're, we're reliability folks. We don't just look at launch and the first few months. We look at the duration. So one of the values, even in a startup that a reliability person can bring is to say, okay, so you, you may not think that's important. Are you like, you're going to, well, you, you're, you're advocating for a certain material and they're saying, look, we don't need that material because we can produce this and get a, get a result and get customers. But your senses, and you can back it up with calculations is that it won't last. It won't last the duration. So you have to speak up about that importance in the context of duration. Yeah, and there's all kinds of examples. I remember one group, they had circuit boards that used bear, uh, they put copper down a, a bear on the board. They didn't coat it or cover it at all. And it's an outdoor product. And simultaneously, they didn't put it together. Their very first beta units were uh, in a place that got tule fog, this really thick, it's like, 115% humidity. <laughs> it's amazing how thick <laughs> this fog is. It's just like suspended, a cloud that sits right on the ground and you can't see your hand in front of your face on this stuff. It's so humid. Um, it's as close to total saturation as I think you can get. And their product was cold overnight and now they're firing it up. And I'm like, you know, there's going to be condensation on that. And condensation on top of bare copper with high voltage potential between them is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> you know, Indeed. here's the failure mechanism. So, and it, you could pick your favorite failure mechanism. If you see all the symptoms, like if they're and one of the things they did is they had dissimilar metals. And so I pulled out a chart, not knowing exactly whether these two metals would be a problem or not, but I checked and said, huh, that's really bad. That's going to create, galvanic corrosion and the young engineers were looking at me what's that you know kind of thing and i said 
here's what it looks like when it's bad. Oh, I saw that last week on one of our products in the field. Okay. <laughs> That's why it's a problem. You know, it's that, that what we bring to the table is that history of how things fail. And if you can sen- sniff out or sense that set of symptoms, even though they hadn't seen it yet, like they hadn't seen these things short out, but they were seeing intermittent failures in the field in these foggy regions. And I said, I know what's happening there. I have a pretty good clue. Let's try it. Let's put it in a chamber, in a humidity chamber. And they failed within two days. <laughs> you know, they just went. And I said, we've got a problem. We got to fix that. I remember back uh, years ago in automotive, the uh, mufflers used to be a limited life item. Mm-hmm. The, the like wiper blades and not as not, not that limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but when we made stainless steel or made the right materials and mufflers, they would last the duration. Mm-hmm. And then those kind of decisions can be upfront as part of your, your initial decisions rather than uh, let's launch. We, it's going to be cheaper if we don't use a particular material, but will it, last the duration you have to be very good at what you do and understand the mechanisms of failure like corrosion and what have you to be able to make that argument during the the design decisions as opposed to waiting for years in the field or waiting until you can test it in all of its configurations uh that that's part of the value is is if you're going to be fast you have to be really upfront in supporting decisions from a reliability standpoint. And, and bring to the table, along with all the other engineers bringing to the table, well, here's, because if you th- say, oh yeah, if we did this material, it'll last longer. There's still a lot of work to be done to incorporate that. Do we have space in the budget, in the timeline or in the budget, or do we have resources that can actually take the time to design that in and make sure it works? The worst is when somebody says, oh, if we use this, you know, exotic new material that we've never ever worked with before and we have to invent 15 new you know supply chain processes and manufacturing processes to make it work at one end of the spectrum that's just a non-starter we don't know anything about this thing (laughs) no does anybody else we're not going to that's not the purpose of our product is to design this new material no skip that but on the other hand if there's an existing technology out there like the stainless steel muffler um, okay, there's going to be some differences. So we got to take care of attachment and maintenance and everything else on it. Let's budget that in. And then there's others are put a coating on that circuit board, <laughs> you know, put a conformal coat on it. It's a mm-hmm. known process. It's easy to do. It won't affect your performance. <laughs> Just do that. And, and they, oh, okay, let's do that. And it was as easy as adding another 28 cents to the manufacturer of these, of these boards. Yeah, that's that's the time to do it. Yes, yeah. indeed. Well, you, let me just t- talk about FME for a minute because the some people say, okay, we got to do this really fast. We're not going to have time for FMEAs. And you're even and, talking faster too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the right. clock is ticking here. You got to go fast. <laughs> so the I'll, I'll just share a story here from uh, the last Rams. I Actually, a couple of years ago, I, I began reading more and more papers about the possibility of automating FMEA. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, that's just out there in the, in the fringe. And, uh, but it gets, gets more, some traction and people are considering it. And so I, I submitted a panel for the last Rams. This is one in last January uh, called FMEA automated or team-based. And it was a really good panel. I brought 
people for the, that had written the papers, people from the other side, and we debated the issues on uh, uh, an, almost an Oxford-style debate mm-hmm. on uh, can you can you automate FMEA? And the answer is is you can automate portions of it, and teams are critical for portions of it. And so what the the result of that, and I've I, we could do an entire podcast and more on this subject as to what can be automated, what cannot be automated, what can be pre-populated, what needs the full team, uh, because that's really important. Mm -hmm. But you bring that conversation into FAST, we don't want to say, well, we don't have time for FMEA. We want to say we have time to do FMEA that's pre-populated on certain areas that can be, but we're going to bring in the right team at the right time to ensure we don't have blind spots, we haven't missed anything important, and we have the critical issues covered. And that approach can work in a fast environment. Well, I agree. And I, I think it, it dovetails with what we both talked about right at the start, is that is you basically taking that, I have a, uh, a potential failure, or we actually see something. Either way, we, we're looking at a design going, hmm, where's that heat going to go? You know, or where's this going to go? Or how's that going to happen? And even though it's not a formal FMEA, um, especially in a startup situation, I've the, every one of them I work with is they usually had a morning meeting to set priorities. What's new? What's different? What's what's accomplished? And it would be a stand-up meeting oftentimes and take 10 minutes and then we're off running again. And in all those circumstances is either it was already part of their culture or we introduced it was what did I see that didn't work right? You know, and it was kind of a fracas system. It was kind of an FMEA, but it was the same thought process. What do we know? What do we don't know? How important is it? And do we, do we spend resources today to deal with it? Or do we put it on the back burner and hope we get to it someday? Or oftentimes it was, we need to know more, you know, can you replicate it? Can you do this? Those kind of things. And so it was it was part and parcel of failure analysis, root cause analysis. It was part and parcel of the FMEA. It was the same thought process, but it was built into the morning dialogue. Well, that's really a good comment you make. It's the same thought process because you can really have an FMEA point of view, right. which is what can go wrong? What do we do about it? How important is it? And And so a couple more comments on that is – is to make FME work in that fast environment, that really fast environment. You have to stay focused on priorities. You prioritize where you put the effort. You prioritize your functions. And, and you also, you don't carry forward in the FME things that nobody's concerned about. Right. And, and that's really an important topic because you don't want to discount something because you don't have a, a majority people that are concerned about it. If one person's concerned, you want to really explore it. And that's that's something that I, I want to make the point of is that is that when I say no one's concerned about it, I mean no one. In other words, if no one on that team has a concern about this, then let's not take it up. But if one person does, that person might be right. Yeah. Well how do you what would be the trigger to say, oh, we need to get a team together for this this particular section of our product or topic of our product in a, yeah. in a very t- crunched system, fast system here? I would say the, I do what's called preliminary risk assessment, where I take the bill of materials 
And so you're going to have some idea of the bill of materials. You don't know what the design solution is. Mm-hmm. You haven't you haven't obviously done your design, but you know that it's going to be made up of this and this, or you have a concept. And then you say, okay, from that, let's look at it from a degree of new technology. Let's look at it from a degree of safety issues, mm-hmm. from a degree of where we've seen field issues, even though we haven't fielded this before, other people might have, mm-hmm. uh, where we got new regulatory concerns. Let's look at the bill of materials against those criteria and then do a red, yellow, green on those and then see where what if something shows up a lot red, then let's dive in and do an FMEA there. Uh, but that FMEA can be pre-populated on functions. In other words, you don't need the full team on each portion of the FMEA, mm-hmm. but you sure do on some portions. Like, well, I, I want to get the team involved reviewing if there's some degree of Pre-populate. I want to get the team involved on causes, uh, for sure, because yeah. you, getting to root causes is essential yep. to uh, make an FMEA work. So there's areas where you're going to want the team, but you don't have to have the team everywhere. And that team can be smaller. It doesn't have to be six, eight people. It could be uh, three or four. But you want to have different points of view in there because I, I guarantee you, one person will have a blind spot yep. if it if it goes unchecked. Yeah, it's also a great technique early in a program to set up that FMEA style of thinking and, and yeah. so that it becomes part of an ongoing discussion. So there's lots of ways to do it. Yeah. The only other comment I'll make, because I know we'll, we'll run into a time thing here on the, the uh, podcast is in terms of values, we want to have that culture where you're, you're willing to stand up and I, I, most startups that I've seen have that culture yeah. where somebody has that, has that, um, uh, what do you call it, willingness to take a stand yep. and say, I don't think this will work. Yep. And then they have to justify it. But if you say it, you got to stand there and you have to advocate and justify it. But you can't be meek and you, you can't be, if I could use the term mousy, in other words, you can't be, um, If you have to be willing to take a stand and explain your views and be willing to change if someone has, has shown you that that isn't right. What you're saying isn't true. Yeah. Now my last comment is, is the hard part is when the cult, it doesn't work if the culture is um, uh, unsupported, you know, conjecture is like, well, that's the way it's going to be. Uh, and it, it's my opinion. All right. Well, based on yeah, what? Based on what? Exactly. <laughs> based on you what? Gotta, if you can't you have to be willing to challenge people. Yeah. It's, it, it's in the service of being able to get go go fast is to have those open frank discussions uh with evidence with data with engineering experience whatever um but when that's gone when you have just one person calling all the shots and everybody else is just keep their heads down don't say nothing um it's probably a good sign to quickly move your <clears throat> get your resume out and go somewhere else yeah, exactly it's <laughs> yeah. a different way to move fast <laughs> this is a open-ended topic and if you're a listener and you have some ideas or experiences as what works in a fast environment where you're still value thoroughness you want to be right you don't want to have critical failures and and so what is the actual what are the dynamics that work please let us know yep. i think it'd be fun to revisit this oh definitely you can do that over at ascendoreliability.com slash go slash sor you can leave us a voice message or a written message um 
or you can find Carl and I and the other hosts on LinkedIn or on our about pages. Plenty of ways for you to join the conversation. So if you're in one of those fast culture organizations and you're listening to our podcast on your commute, thanks, one. Uh, but take a few seconds and send us your thoughts. That'd be great. <laughs> Help out a lot of other people. So with that, Carl, I think we'll wrap this one up and, and quickly get it processed and, and well... It takes time to do that. so Be be thorough on your processing. There you go. We try. All right. Well, thanks, Carl. Good topic. Thanks to you too, Fred. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.